dramatic pause. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Dramatic pause is a go-to for podcasters, presidents, and radio voiceovers. It makes you look really smart, even if you're not. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Do Choose. Light, comfy, good to go to. What a week it's been in Ireland. I'm going to be talking about that soon, so make sure you stay subscribed on iTunes or SoundCloud, and that way you'll get a notification to say when there's a new episode available. This week's guest, what can I say? Do we have a guest? This guest is so fantastic, I almost stopped the interview midway through and threw her out because I did not deserve her. That's how fantastic this guest is. A Tony winner, a West End star. Maestro, the overture, if you please. Hello, you are very welcome to this episode of Fascinated. Now, you cannot talk about musical theatre for long without mentioning one of the shows that my next guest has either workshopped or starred in. At 19 years of age, she originated the role of Eponine in Les Miserables, which is one of the most iconic roles in musical theatre. When she auditioned for this part, Frances Ruffell was starring in the first ever production of Starlight Express in the West End. Now, as we all know, Les Mis went on to be a big runaway success, so Broadway beckoned and she took the place by storm. She opened in Les Mis to rave reviews and won the Helen Hayes Award, the Theatre World Award, the Outer Circle Critics Award, and of course, the stuff of dreams for every West End Wendy and Broadway baby. She won the Tony Award. The musical also spawned a hit single of her 11 o'clock number, On My Own, a song which she has recorded and performed again and again and again. On my own, pretending he's beside me. And it's actually quite interesting because she does talk about that. Originally, when she took the role on Broadway, her visa only permitted her to perform in the actual show, which meant that she was unable to take part in any of the promotional performances on TV. But after her Tony win, this was renegotiated. On My Own was re-released, this time to the American market, and she hit the chat show circuit. She returned to London to work with Ian Dury from Ian Dury and the Blockheads on his musical and album Apples. Come to my arms, so oh cherish love, She returned to the West End in 1991 in a part written for her in Stephen Schwartz's new musical, Children of Eden. Now, Children of Eden premiered at a time when theatre audiences were completely decimated due to the Gulf War. And at the time, there was one of the worst London snowfalls in decades. Frances said in an interview, I believe that people were too busy watching the war and that's why they weren't coming to the theatre. It was just awful. The show closed after just four months but not before a pop release of Francis's showstopper, Stranger to the Rain. He will dance before the lightning to music sacred and profane. Oh. 
This prompted Frances to sign a recording contract with Virgin and she wrote and recorded a number of songs and completed work on an album. And then, to many a raised eyebrow, went on to represent the UK in the Eurovision Song Contest. She had a TV special where she sang all eight songs and the public voted for Lonely Symphony. After this, she stepped away from the limelight to raise her three small children, which included one of today's brightest young pop stars. She returned to the West End twice to play the role of Roxy Hart in Chicago, and in 2010 she performed her sellout cabaret show Beneath the Dress to rave reviews at the Edinburgh Festival. This interview was recorded in April of last year and I was delighted to interview Frances. When I spoke to her she had just finished a run in a new musical called The A to Z of Mrs P and she was busy working on a new cabaret show called Paris Original which went on to have a sold out run in London last October. I first saw Frances sing on Pebble Mill at one on my lunch break from school a long time ago. She had the flu and she was singing a song called Fever and I thought she was absolutely amazing. But of all the people that I've actually interviewed, she was the one I was most nervous of because I'd actually never seen her interviewed before. And I didn't really know what to expect because, I mean, she has a Tony for crying out loud. But she arrived and just said, hi, I'm Frankie and we just got chatting. And as soon as you meet her, it kind of really strikes you that she just had this great buzz about her. And when we were talking about things she'd done in the past that were quite fantastic, and starry she even seemed as starstruck by them as I was I would urge you if you haven't seen Frances on stage you should really just go and see one of her cabaret shows because they really are like nothing else they're absolutely phenomenal but anyway here's the person Frances Ruffell hello hello you're very welcome Thank you. Am I welcome? You are very welcome. <laughs> it's an absolute delight to sit down with you. Um, oh. You've just finished a run of a new musical, The A to Z of Mrs. P. Yes. Uh, so this is your week off. Yeah, I've got time now to um, start organising new projects. Cool. And how was the run? Exciting. The run was great. It was great. It's very nice to do a new musical. And, you know, in the rehearsals, it's a very difficult rehearsal period. But that's so creative and more exciting because you know that there's changes every day and yeah you never know how it's going to turn out so um you know it was really really good fun to do something new that's not the first new musical you've been in no i've you've been that, lucky yeah that's been your career you've originated a lot of obviously les mis which we'll talk about yes, soon yes. but you were also involved in like the origination of things like miss saigon i was um, actually yes i was i um, was you're right I've Although I didn't do the actual shows in the West mm. End, I was right there at the, in the creation. We can talk about that too. Do you feel now that when you go into a new musical that it's pressure because it's like, it's Frances Ruppel, she's done all of the, you know, when sometimes you go into a musical and I, I just want to play the part. Yeah, I used to feel that when I was younger because, you know, it was such a big deal, the Les Miserables thing. And I, I did feel very much um, a lot of stress and pressure with everything. But as I've got older... I am much more confident as I've got older, luckily. But also, I took quite a lot of time out of my career to have children. Yeah. So it's almost like I've come back and, and it's all going really well and I'm really enjoying it. And people are really excited to see me back, really. Yeah. So it's like starting new. When you when you started rehearsal for the AC of Mrs. P, do you have all those nerves of going into a new project or is it just excitement? Or... No, I don't anymore. You know, it's just, it's just a wonderful job for me and I'm really, I just love to challenge myself. I, I don't have those crazy nerves at all, no. I read in the internet stories about how you used to be able to go in at 10 to 7, or, or 10 minutes before curtain. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. How did you manage that, right? Because um, you, you were... I was young and, and crazy and unprofessional. 
Um, I used to, you know, always be looking for a parking space to the last minute and, <laughs> and kind of do my makeup, you know, because in, in Les Miserables, um, we were part, part of the ensemble um, before I, be, you know, became Eponine. Mm. And I used to literally sort of throw my clothes on and then, like, you know, take my makeup downstairs to the side of the stage. And every time I came off stage, I applied a bit more makeup. <laughs> so by the time you were Eponine, and that time when when you when Les Mis just before it came up you were in Starlight Express. Yes. That was that the first run of Starlight Express. Yes, I was the originate. Yeah, I originated that too, and I was also um, in the original workshop for that too. So I was right at the beginning of that. And you didn't uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't realize you were the star of that show until the That's first right. day of rehearsal. That's right. Yeah, and the first day of the workshop rehearsal. Wow. Um, because um, I, I just originally went to an open audition. Yeah. And. Um, and actually, I had bronchitis, and I sounded really husky, and I sounded a bit like um, Bonnie Tyler, and they wanted this sort of country and western singer, and I really sounded like Bonnie Tyler, and it wasn't actually my real voice, um, and they just loved the sound, and um, Andrew and I went, went running out of the room and asked me if I could roller skate, and I said, yeah, not only can I roller skate, I can tap dance on roller skates. And what? Went, can you really? <laughs> And it was actually true. You could, you could I roller could, skate. I could tap dance on roller skates, but because um, I had at my dance school, at my mum's, my mum's got a theatre school. Yeah. We had done um, a song called "The Roller Skate Rag" from Funny Girl, and basically we got the wheels of the roller skates and we tightened up the wheels so anyone could do it. To be honest, <laughs> so I wasn't lying. But, but oh my god, that's a very specific skill. Yeah. That's brilliant, and when. I always think that to put a musical on roller skates is the it's the craziest thing yeah, you can was. possibly do because I mean for, for insurance first of all yeah they must have had high insurance and then you've got all your stars potentially in lethal situations because I, I saw it actually in when it was in the Apollo yeah uh, years ago and it was just towards the very end of the run yeah and there was an accident when you saw it yeah there was an accident wow. um, where they skate around yeah, the, yeah. the auditorium and as they were coming back in. Uh, they hit a there was a kind of a ramp yeah and somebody did they didn't go down the ramp they kind of just went off the top oh my god and landed and then but one after another the people coming back oh, in yeah. it was horrendous and everyone was looking going oh, that's spectacular that's spectacular it's like mm. that's a bit different yeah <laughs> and then nobody got up and then the theater oh manager had to come on the stage really and, yeah so bad. and then there was it was only about uh, 15 minutes into the show i think wow. and then they there was about an hour and a half Wait. before the show oh Gosh, well, um, we had you know in the beginning of the run there were a few accidents, a few scary ones, but then it was fine. I didn't ever have an accident. I, I just think that must be the most terrifying thing in the world. Mm, I was it. terrified at first of all. Um, when they first built the set, they brought me and one other skater to try out the set. I was really proud that they asked me, but it turns out it was because I was the worst one. Oh really? <laughs> and they thought if I can do it, anyone can do it. Can do it. Get in there. <laughs> Begs the question, why haven't you been on Dancing on Ice? I'd love to do Dancing on Ice. Um, You'd I, win it. No, I actually... You would you know, win it, it would be no Do you know what? I don't know if I would win it because um, I have sort of skated on ice, you know, like anyone does at the local ice rink. And I do, I sort of trip over those, sort of, you know, those funny front horn things on the skates, oh, the yeah. cutters or whatever yeah, they're called. Yeah. I always trip, I don't lift my feet up because I'm so used to roller skating and dragging my feet. So actually, I'm I'm really bad on ice, so, so maybe roller skating wouldn't help. You'd have to start off bad at the start, so that when you like blazed a trail and won it at the end, people didn't suspect. 
Yeah, that's what would have to that's happen. That's what you have to do. Um, when when you because uh, Trevor Nunn he directed Starlight Express yeah. and he also directed um, Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah. So when you were in that show and then he just came to you and did he, he ask? Would yeah, you be he came interested? backstage and said, "There's a wonderful role for me um, in Les Miserables, a new sh- musical who's opening." And I thought to myself, "What a terrible title! I'll never <laughs> run." And then um, he he um, said, I, "I need you to sing for the French composers and the co-director." the co-director um and Cameron and everyone obviously um we need to persuade them that you're perfect for the role and so he asked me to sing an Edith Piaf song okay which I learnt and um I went in on a Friday night at six o'clock just before going to the theatre okay and by Monday morning at 10 my agent got the call to say the job was mine wow so and yeah. at the time, when you had you read any of the material then, or had you heard any of the songs, or um, was it blind? Uh, oh, I, do you know what? I don't remember if I heard the songs. I don't think I had heard anything. I just thought I'm going to do this Royal Shakespeare production with Trevor Nunn. How could I say no? Absolutely. You know, I was only yeah. eighteen years old, so I was like, "Whoa, I've got another job with Trevor. How amazing!" I don't remember. If, I don't think I heard anything before, but I did hear. I, I was the first person cast, so I did hear the French version, and you know, okay. and they worked on my role in the songs, you know, before they'd even cast anyone. So I kept going in to work with the composers. Okay, and when when you were starting to hear that music, did you have any idea that it would be the big hit that it became? Uh, I thought that the music was amazing. It was beautiful, especially sung in French. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't have any idea really. I just thought it would be a very special, interesting show. I thought that I really did think the title would put a lot of people off. Okay. It's hard to imagine yeah. that. It's like part of our vocabulary now. Isn't yeah, it's it? like the it's the brand as long as like McDonald's. Because I mean, I suppose now it's blown with the movie and, and yeah. stuff like that, and it's just exploded. Yeah. When you originate a role like that, and your voice is very distinctive. You know, you're just kind of a, I always think it's a kind of a melancholy tone to your... Sort of a cry to the voice. Yeah, and mm. it's like, it's perfect for that song. Because mm. at the time, I liked your pop music. Oh, that was how I discovered you? you, yeah. Oh. And I was really surprised because my parents had the cast album of Les Mis. Yeah. To find out that you were the same person. But then when oh. you hear the voice, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. It is the same person. But what I've noticed is that when you hear other people sing uh, on my own, you kind of hear, there's almost like an imitation Maybe sometimes because they listen to the album, you know, how we all yeah. sometimes copy what we hear. So, so there is a bit, when you hear yeah. someone else... I do that. I do hear it sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know, not everybody, because there are other singers recorded now. So yeah. it's not everybody. But I think particularly near the beginning, there was a lot of that. But then, you know, I have to admit, I based my sound for Les Miserables on a very old singer... Um, an old-time music hall singer called Kate Carney. Oh. And, um, which is, you know, not many people know who she is, but my mum was a big collector of music, old, old-time music hall, and so we listened to things like that in the house growing up, and I always remember the cry in her voice. And she was a very, Cockney, and yeah. Epony, when I played it, they wanted me to play it Cockney, even though it's French. Yeah. But we didn't do the French accents, we did different British accents. And so... Um, the, yeah, so I based it on Kate Carney, actually. Oh, wow. And is mm. she, she's dead? Yes. Yeah, yeah. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. That was, ter- <laughs> that was a terrible way to end that piece. <laughs> and 
can't remember what I was going to say there. That was a tragic thing to say, but okay, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when, it, when the uh, original show kicked off, when did you start to feel, my God, this, this is, this is going to be a hit? Well, when we were in rehearsals, in the rehearsal space, not in dress rehearsal or not in the theatre, just in the rehearsal room, um, I got a lot of time to watch other scenes because, you know, it's such a, an incredible show that so many stories running through it. So, I, you know, my role was a supporting role, so I, didn't, I wasn't on stage all the time. And I'd watch scenes and then I'd find myself in floods of tears, you know, so involved in their story and so touched by it. I'd have to get, get, gather myself together because then I'd have to rehearse my scene, you know. Yeah. Um, it was so that was when I realised that we were in something very special, very yeah. special. I still didn't think. I mean, nobody expects a musical to last as long as it has. Yeah. You know? So it's incredible. Do you, Do you find yourself walking by the theatre because it's just around the corner, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like sometimes it all comes flooding back? Yeah, well, we did it in the Palace Theatre, which it's moved from the Palace Theatre now. Okay. It's, it's in a smaller theatre now, but uh, it was a beautiful Palace Theatre. And I sang there, actually, last last week. Okay. So, and I hadn't sung there for, what, however many years it is, 28 years or something. Wow. So it was incredible to be back there. But I do, yeah, and I, even just walking by the poster, you know. I mean, the weird thing is, um, the poster, um, when I was younger, everyone said it looked like me. And my kids without even knowing that I was in the show, you know, at the age of two or three, you used to go, Mummy, Mummy! Really? <laughs> Mummy <Wow>. on the bus! <laughs> That's amazing! Yeah. Because it wasn't just something to do with the hat that you wore in the show. Was that your own hat? Um, it wasn't my own hat. It was the Ro- Ro- Shakespeare Company's hat. It okay. was um, the rehearsal hat. Did you hear oh, this story? Yes. Yeah. You've heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> the rehearsal hat and... Um, I, they gave it to me to wear in during the rehearsals, and it did look a bit like the hat for the cassette, actually, which is on the poster. Um, but um, then when it came to the costume, Andy gave me something else that was completely different, and I was so attached to that hat, and so were the directors. So okay. we were like, Andy, I'm not going to be wearing your hat, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and when and I got my way. <laughs> Dead right. Yeah. Dead right. And when you finished in the London run, when did Broadway... When did well, Broadway? I was... I I wanted to go to Broadway. Everybody wanted to go to Broadway. But Cameron said, no, you know, it's too difficult to take actors there. We're just taking Colm Wilkinson and that's it. Okay. So actually I extended my contract in London. And um, then one Saturday morning I got a phone call and it was Cameron on the phone saying, darling, I'm taking you to New York. And what had happened was they actually had cast my role with someone else and she'd taken another job because it was a leading role. Okay. And she'd made a big, big mistake because the job she did only lasted a week. It was oh, a, no. a flop. It was a very big New York flop and it just closed within a week. What, what, what was it? Smile, it was called. Oh, right. Okay. So you haven't even heard of it. No. She could have been Ebony and one of Tony. Anyway, um, so... And they did try and find someone because, you know, they weren't allowed not to try and find someone. They were already in rehearsals and they eventually, they managed to persuade American Equity to allow me to come over. Because it's alien of extraordinary ability, isn't That's it? Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When you went over to Broadway, like a Broadway opening night, I suppose when you're training, that's the stuff of dreams. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, Broadway opening night and to win a Tony, I mean, I watched the Tonys on TV when I was growing up and... 
even when I was there, it hadn't occurred to me that I was could even be up for a Tony because that seemed like another world. Yeah. Because other people were saying, oh, you know, you're, you could win a Tony. And I was like, no, surely not. You know, I really did not believe that I would win something like that. And when did you find out that you were nominated for a Tony? Um, I think it's like about two months before the Tony. So it was actually probably only a month after we'd opened. And do you remember that moment or do you, how it happened? Uh, yeah, my I had a PR out there. Everyone in America, everyone in Dumb. New York has PRs. <laughs> and she rang me up and said, Frankie, you're going to win a Tony. Everyone was really positive about it. And I was like, no, don't say that, don't say that. But um, also it was in the in the papers, the predictions of who they thought would be nominated. So I knew that, you know, my name kept coming up. Wow. And so. did you have sleepless nights thinking about that? Or did you, were you very cool about it? No, I was, young? Re- I was so cool and so young. And it was, you know, I think it was a difficult time because I was also up against other people in the show. Yeah. Um, so that was awkward at, at the theatre. And some people that should have been up for a Tony weren't even nominated you know yeah so it's yeah, a really it's awesome. awkward situation yeah you know that you don't ask for but then you're not going to grumble either Absolutely. You know? <laughs> no thank you something lovely on your mantelpiece yeah and um, the, the opening night was amazing i had people like burt Bacharach. he came up to me and said he wanted to write for me and i was such a stupid idiot because i i could have like you know if i if it was me now i'd be yeah. like on the phone the next day to his agent but he's gonna write to me why don't we do an album blah, blah, you know yeah of course, I just did nothing. And they never contacted me. And that was the end of that. But what a story. <laughs> the things like that were happening all the time. I don't know if you know who Carol Channing is. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I actually love sound her. like her because I've got a cold. You do. <laughs> I absolutely love Carol Channing. She was in, for those who don't know, she was in the original um, Thoroughly Modern Millie film playing... The, the mother role, the jazz baby. Yeah. What else did she do? She was the original she, Hello Dolly. Hello wasn't Dolly, she? yeah, yeah. Um, but she's fantastic. And I was walking along the street in New York, and there she was, and she stopped me, not the other way around. And she said, Hi, I'm Carol Channing. I just want to congratulate you on your work. Oh and I literally, God. I was, I just, you know what I said to her? I said, Raspberries. Oh my God. And you know, that's her line from Barry <laughs> Mullen, really. She loved the fact that I knew that. Oh my God. That's such a cool response, though. It is. I mean, she's amazing. And, and that kind of thing was happening all the time out there. And it was just like so different from here. It was like New York is more concentrated into that sort of. Uh, into Manhattan, into the sort of theatre district, and you do bump into a lot of stars. It's very starry. Yeah. yeah. The West yeah. End doesn't seem to be as starry. No, we're not actually here, are we? In, I don't think London. so, because yeah. they have that thing, you know, where uh, when someone makes their first entrance on Broadway, they get They'll a clap. applaud, it's yeah. Like it's the star, there's the clap, and it's always, no matter how serious the bit is, yeah. uh, there's, this, there's this round of applause that's always kind of jarring. They don't really do that in the West End. No, very rarely. And, you know... I don't know, it's kind of nice the New York way though, because they are really much more enthusiastic, but we're getting better. Yeah, come to Dublin, they'd have you hoovering the stalls. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. they would, would yeah. they? Well, yeah. <laughs> the, um, I actually, I saw Angela Lansbury last night in, uh, Did you? in Black wow. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, funny enough, she, um, this is how blasé I was back then, because someone said to me, oh, we're going to go next week, do you want to come? We might be meeting Angela Lansbury. I went, oh, how exciting! And then I went, oh, I've met her. And it, that's how ridiculous it, my life was in New York. And I suddenly realised, I've got a picture of me and Angela. <laughs> because um, she presented the Tony Awards for the category, the same as mine, but for the, the males. 
And so we all had a wow. photograph together. And then she was also at the Tony's lunch. And that's also where I met her. And I'm also in a photograph with her there. It's just ridiculous. And that's how it was in New York. Wow. And when, when you, you know, when, you're, when you go in for the Tony Award ceremony and you're all sitting on your tables, you've had your dinner. Do you... Well, we, we did it in the theatre. Oh, it's yeah, a theatre. Yeah. Okay. Do you, did you think, oh, you know, like, was it done then? Did you kind of go, ah, I'm not going to win this or I'm going to win? You know? Well, I thought a lot of people kept saying to me that I was going to win it, but I was like, well, you know, I am from Britain. You know, they might, the voters, there was a lot of voters, like 600 voters. They might, you know, prefer to vote for someone from their own country. So I did, I was aware of that. Um, but the only thing I was really thinking about was if I get it, I just want to get on that stage without tripping up in these high hills. Okay. So I wasn't used yeah. to high hills in those days. So that's all I thought about. And then once I made it to the stage, I was relieved. And the winner is Francis Raphael Lehman's Thank you. And where do you keep your Tony now? I now keep it, it's, a, it's actually, right this second it's in my living room, but I used, my mum and dad used to have it in their house for ages because I was embarrassed that I had awards. Really? So they had all my awards there. And then, more recently I became, I, I started to appreciate things more, you know? Yeah. And I decided that it was good to have them there to remind myself that I yeah. do good work and, you know, give myself confidence. And to you, was you... Is it uh, on proper display or is it sometimes you use it as a paperweight? You know, uh, no, it's not on proper display. It. It's just sort of kind of just, you, you, don't, you wouldn't notice it. People always ask me where it is. And I had this great joke for a long time because, um, you know, they've got this disc that spins round. Yeah. And I broke it the day I got it, like the day. <laughs> and I, ne- you know, I could have sent it back and got it replaced or whatever, but I never did. And so it was my lovely joke. I used to balance it. And every time someone said, oh, can I, can I hold your Tony? Really? <laughs> this would the fall off and they'd be mortified. <laughs> That's amazing. But now I had an odd job man in one day and he fixed it. So I oh, not really? play that joke anymore. That's brilliant though. Um, now, you're, uh, you just finished a, a cabaret that you put together yourself, the yes. uh, Paris original. Mm-hmm. And that's your second. Yes. Your second one. The first one was Beneath the Dress. Yes. I have to say, actually, I saw Beneath the Dress in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. And you know the way you pulled somebody out of the audience yes. to dance? That was me. Was it you? Oh, you must have been very good. No, I was terrible. <laughs> and because you know the way you throw yourself up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did that. But I, see... Did I break li- the back? Listeners, uh, Francis is, you're kind of like a little petite doll. And I, I threw you a bit high. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and then you kind of went, okay, get away from this. <laughs> I, would have, that would have, I would have done that as a joke. It was, I'd have loved that, honestly. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was uh, my shining moment. Oh. But um, when you went back, what was it about the Edinburgh Festival that you kind of thought, okay, I'm going to take this up to Edinburgh? Was it to put it together or were you like just going to do a big long run? Or Well, I had been in Edinburgh the year before just for a few days doing yeah. a musical and I'd really enjoyed the atmosphere and everything and... And then I, I did put the show together um, in London, first of all. Okay. And then, I um, yeah, it was actually because a friend... Actually, I'll tell you who it was. It was Rowan Atkinson's wife that came along to my show. And Rowan Atkinson started his career in Edinburgh, doing the Edinburgh Festival. And she knows all the people there. And so she invited... She said, your show would be great at the Edinburgh Festival. So she invited the um, people from the Pleasants to see it. And oh, that, wow. that's really how it happened. So they suggested I bring it. And actually... Um, I was a bit daunted at doing 24 shows on the trot, 
but actually it was the best thing I ever did for me and my career and for what's going on now in my life because first of all you know it certainly improves the show you know doing yeah, 24, 24 times yeah. um, but also my stamina and just being knowing that I can hold the stage that long you know for, yeah. on my own um, huh, excuse the, the pun um, <laughs> But but it was really really good because also then I got another job when I got back which I was I didn't leave the stage for it was a, a show called Songs from Hotel Bedroom at the Royal Opera House in London, and you know I felt like I had the confidence to take on that kind of role um, because I'd never really played massive leads I mean apart from Roxy in Chicago but that's quite easy although it may not seem it but it's really a reasonably easy vocal role. Um, so then I did songs from Hotel Bedroom, and then um, after that I got um, the, the part of Edith Piaf in Piaf, and I don't leave the stage for two hours twenty minutes. And so basically, I feel like my one woman shows are almost my um, apprenticeship, uh, yeah. like yeah. Um, like going to drama school, studying. It's almost like studying, you know, to then be able to take on really big roles and have the stamina. It's kind of like to get your match fit. I think mm. everyone really uses Edinburgh for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's, exactly. it's definitely that kind of boot camp. Um, you mentioned there uh, vocally. Uh, do you, are you someone that worries about your voice? Yes, I do, yeah. Is it a constant <laughs> terror? <laughs> yeah, I'm really terrible. I do get worried. Um, but I, I notice that my voice is always sounding so much better if I haven't spoken much. Yeah. So I like um, if I'm if I've got a big performance, I don't speak in the mornings okay. at all. I text. Text is great. Yeah. Text and emails. Um, talking on the phone is an absolute no no. Even when I am speaking. Okay. Um, and I steam a lot. I've got a steam room at home, okay. built in at home. Because the female voice changes so much, like over your life, like it becomes yes, so deeper. Like, it, it gets mm, deeper, mm. and the and the range changes. And but I think it, it sounds better. I think as people get older, yeah, there's I a mean, richness, like yeah, um, you know. Um, do you, but do you worry about that? Because it, like obviously, you're with a, if you're a singer with a repertoire, the repertoire is changing. Like a, you yes, know. it does, and I don't like singing on my own anymore because I don't really feel like. Well, I don't sing it how I used to sing it, and I don't really want to disappoint people when I when I I mean I do occasionally sing it but I kind of do my own take on it these days yeah I was going to ask actually because your your show Beneath the Dress was quite autobiographical Mm -hmm. and that song which I suppose you know is world famous and is the the song that you're (laughs) (laughs) oh no I did do a jokey bit didn't I yeah you did but but it was only I think one or two lines yeah just Um, a little hint to it yeah and I was I was curious as to why you didn't throw that in because I mean you know you're a Tony winner, you could sell out cabarets the whole time if you just said, Francis Ruffell, who will sing on my own. I know, I <laughs> know. Do you know, Michael Ball tells me off all the time, he said, you've got to embrace it and do all your old hits. And um, I just, I just don't feel like it fits with what I do now as a older woman. The stuff you do now, it is quite different. I yeah. mean, the, like your cabaret, you know, it's very creative and it's very you. Like, it's real dirt under your fingernails mm, sort of stuff, mm. you know. It's very different to, like, polished it's musical theatre. It's so theater. different, yeah. Um, in Paris Original, of course, you know, Paris Original was all about um, French songs and Paris. And then, you know, then again, I was thinking, well, how could I not do on my own, you know? Of course. But I, what I do in Paris Original is I sing the song that Trevor asked me to sing for the audition for Les Miserables. And then I just tag a little tiny bit of on my own at the end of it. So you do oh, get wow. a glimmer of it. Um, wow. I think maybe maybe I sing on my own if I got paid a lot of money 
Well, you heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. Get that checkbook out. <laughs> um, and you, so do you, when you go into a musical, you know, like you, you just done a musical there yeah. where you were playing a part, uh, having done Paris Original, which was all your own work and all your own creation. Do you, does it get a bit claustrophobic then where you, when you're in a, a run where you're just, they're like, do this, Francis, then you move there and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm, hmm. The last job I did, particularly, I wasn't really told to move anywhere or to do any way. You know, it might get mm. a few comments, you know, perhaps the character is feeling this and not that. Or, But I, I think I tend to sort of find my own way with roles. And by finding it in your own way, do you just like come into rehearsals, put your Tony down and go, if anyone has a suggestion... Say it at the time. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm not like that at all. I don't know why but you I'm, wouldn't be. But I'm quite confident at getting inside the role and I, I tend to learn the lines very early on as well so that I can really get inside the character. Cool. Now, we have to obviously talk about the, the stuff you did, the, the pop stuff. Because, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I love that album, Fragile. Oh, it, Fragile. That was, yeah. And, you know, that was um, when I was in Dublin doing um, Eurovision. Eurovision, Contest. yes. And a guest that was on this show... Uh, Neve Kavanagh yes. won uh, the previous year. Right. It was one of my neighbours. Oh, the, that's why I went back that's to Dublin. That's why I went back to Dublin. Yeah. Yes, that's why you were in Dublin. And it was in Dublin. They won it that year as well. They did. Yes, they beat you. <laughs> it was the River Dance year. That was the River Dance year. Yeah. And Neve didn't get to sing her song that year. You know, the winner always yeah. performs because of the time and River Dance. Really? Yeah, so they didn't, she didn't, didn't get to perform hey. the song. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, and the two guys that won, your man has lost all his hair. He had a fabulous head of hair. Oh, has he? He's now bald. Oh. But uh, yeah, what was that like though, going to Dublin to do the Eurovision Song Contest? I had such good fun in Dublin. I really love it there. It was so. It was so. It was different, kind of what you've done, what you had done. Yeah. Previously. Well, what happened was um, the BBC um, really wanted me to do it, and I didn't want to do it. I was worried because you know it has got a bit of a stigma attached to it. You know with your career and being taken yeah. seriously. Um, and so I said no. Um, and then they got Don Black to come and take me out for a cup of tea and try and persuade me, which he did. So he persuaded me to do it. Yeah. You know, and actually, I, have to, I can't complain. I mean, gosh, I had great fun and it was a proper job. You know, I mm. got paid to do it. And I also, you know... Had a parking space at the BBC, which I loved. They do it differently here in, in that you had a TV special where you sang 10 Every songs. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's not always the way. But yeah. that was back then it was yeah. like, okay, if you want me. If you want me, I'm going to do all of them. Yeah, we're going to do it properly. <laughs> well, that's, all, that's what they offered me, you know. Yeah. I think that was one of the best Eurovision songs, actually. It's a lovely song, wasn't it? Do you, do you perform that stuff from that era anymore? Or? Uh, no, but funny you should say that. The mayor of Camden, Camden Town in London, has just asked me to sing um, for the Amy Winehouse Foundation um, oh, wow. Eurovision song because they're doing a sort of a Eurovision party oh, wow. on the night of the Eurovision. So I said yes, but I haven't sung it for oh, is it nearly 20 years. What? I think yeah. it will be 20 years, actually. 20 it is years. 20 years, oh, gosh, 20 years. Oh, my God. I might have to lower the key. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'm going to be singing that in May, on the night of the Eurovision. 
that's an exclusive. Yeah. And also, people probably won't know this, is you're, you're the mother of the pop star Eliza Doolittle. I am. How terrifying was it when your daughter said that she wanted to go in, I suppose, to follow <laughs> in your footsteps and to, well, be, to be a pop star? Well, she was only about 13 when she said that. And I thought, well, I, I mean, I, I was worried because you think, oh gosh, at that stage I didn't even know if she could sing or, yeah. or you know, I didn't know if she had talent enough to do it. So it's horrible when someone says that because you think, oh, please be good, you know, yeah. we're going to do it. But I just told her to start writing. I said, it's really important to start writing music and you'll be taken more seriously. And she did. She started writing. And she had a publishing deal before she had a record deal. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Mummy knows best. Mummy did know best, actually. <laughs> but, you, but I mean, you, you've written albums yourself. I have, you know, yeah. and I haven't had an easy time in the recording industry I've, I mean I have been offered lots of record deals and that's amazing which you know you don't really get anymore because the record industry has changed so much but I never really had massive success with my music Did, didn't you get offered a record deal and never have to re- yeah. record and got paid what? yeah I got offered a record de- I went with Andrew Lieberweber to the Ivan Novella Awards for lunch he actually rang me that morning and said will you accompany me to the Ivan Novella Awards and I ran out to Miss Selfridge and bought myself a £20 black dress Okay. And um, in fact, which I wore also to the Les audition. Oh. And um, and then um, sat next to us were the people from Polydor Music. And at the end of lunch, they said, you know, we'd like to sign you. <laughs> so, okay. So um, I had to, they said to get myself a music lawyer. I got myself a music lawyer. He organized the deal. He was a top guy. And they gave me um, some money, quite a lot of money, um, which I... Um, I put down on a new flat, <laughs> and um, and then so I bought a flat. I think I was by this time I was by the time I bought the flat I was nineteen, and then I didn't do anything because I was in Starlight Express and I was busy every night, and I was thinking that they were going to call me up and call me in to sing something. I didn't really know how the yeah. world worked. I didn't have a manager or anything, <laughs> and then. I got a letter from them saying that um, you haven't recorded anything for six months with us, so we're going to drop you. So I told the lawyer, oh, they're going to drop me. And he said, oh, well, don't worry. Um, we've got it in your deal that if they drop you within a certain amount of time, you get paid again. So I went out and bought a new car. <laughs> for doing nothing. That is the best story. <laughs> Those were the days, the 80s, the ridiculous 80s, where money was flying around everywhere. <laughs> so you got completely sorted mm. wow I'm very grateful to that because these days I don't work for money I actually work for love you know we yeah. don't get paid very much in theatre but I love doing what I do so and what's next what's next well do you have any I'm doing, I do I'm, I'm doing a new album cool I'm do, and um, Gwyneth Herbert is producing it she wrote the music for um, the 80 set of Mrs P the musical I just did but also, a lot of your listeners may know Gwyneth Herbert. She's got a lot, a big following. She's a fantastic singer-songwriter. Oh, wow. Um, so that's exciting. And I have also got another project, which, if you can see some wood, I'm going to touch wood. Um, I literally Everything. just got off the phone to the producer, which is happening at the end of the year. And I say is happening at the end of the year. Um, I hope is happening at the end of the yeah. year. It's um, being discussed at the moment, so and I'm really excited. Um, and if it doesn't happen at the end of the year, it will happen um, next year. But I can't say what it is because I don't want to jinx it. Okay. 
So but watch this space. My watch this or space. Or my website. I'll announce it on my website. Oh yeah, francistruffell.com. Yeah. And there, uh, Fragile and other stuff is up on iTunes. Everything's on iTunes, yeah. Yeah, because you've four, four albums, isn't it? Four, four solo uh, albums. I've also got um, a duet album I do called Patala. Have you come across that one? Yes. Have you? Yes, I, I have I, that, yeah. I should have brought that for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite I, fun. They're all up there. Uh, so get yourself some Francis. Francis Ruffell, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Did you get some good stuff? Well, that was Francis Ruffell there. It's only when I listen back, I realise I was actually a nervous wreck recording that. I was so starstruck and she was so, such a sweetheart. She was so nice. Like I said, that interview was recorded almost a year ago. And since then, Frances has had another run of both her solo shows in London and Beneath the Dress in New York. She was also introduced to the Birds of a Feather series on ITV as Dorian's long lost daughter, Naomi. I got an email from Frances last week to say that her new album is finished and will be out in October. Next March, she will be doing shows to promote it in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles and in the Kennedy. Centre in Washington. So if you're stateside, look out for that. I'd say they will be absolutely amazing. For more information, check out her website, francisruffell.com, or you can follow her on Twitter, at Francis Ruffell. And of course, all Francis albums are available on iTunes. I love the music that you heard as clips in the interview. You can get them on her four solo albums, Francis Ruffell, Fragile, Imperfectly Me, and Showgirl. Thanks for listening, and if you'd like to get in touch, garode at garodeferly.com. And if you like the show, please recommend it or write a nice review. Why not? Would it kill you? Or recommend it to a friend or tweet about it. But whatever. There'll be a new episode soon. Thanks for listening. There I was in the heart of London's West End to record this episode and I passed by the stage door of the Galgo Theatre and there was Angela Lansbury doing this. Everybody, thank you for being a wonderful audience. Thank you. Okay, go home, go to bed. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.